You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, it is Monday afternoon. We are getting ready for the Marlins to go hit the road. They will take on the St. Louis Cardinals for a three-game set, then remain in the Midwest and head over to Wrigley to take on the Cubs, which have been a very, very good offense this year. Those should be two fun series where the Marlins are looking to keep this momentum rolling a little bit after what was a very brutal stretch of 10 or 12 games. The Marlins come back home, and as Don Mattingly said, they have been a little bit re-energized after a long road trip being able to come back home and just rejuvenate and get a nice little series against the Rockies, taking two out of three. Sure, it would have been nice to see the Marlins sweep the Rockies, but even going into that series, I thought that that matchup against Austin Gomber coming back home, when he's on, he's actually pretty solid, and also the Marlins were rolling out Braxton Garrett there, and they only lost 4-3. It wasn't like it was a terrible game. Sure, you need to beat the Rockies, but they steal one, but most importantly, the Marlins take two out of three, and then even better, they take two out of three from the Braves who come to town, which was really encouraging. The Braves have been scuffling. No way around that. And really, it kind of puts things in perspective, right? Because of course the Braves are more talented roster-wise than the Marlins are. But the Braves are 30 and 33 right now. The Marlins are 29 and 36. Sure, the Braves are about two games ahead of the Marlins, but the Marlins are one win off in the W column and have three more losses. We're not talking about a very dramatic difference right now, and I'm sure Braves fans are panicking a bit too. It just kind of puts in perspective here that some teams are struggling. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. I would say if the Marlins did drop two out of three to the Rockies and then two out of three to the Braves, then we could say some things were starting to pile up, but so far it looks like the Marlins may be turning the corner, though this road trip will be a good test as they'll play some good ball clubs, then come back home and host Toronto for a pair of games again, which we know that will be tough. And then also we'll host the Nationals, which I think will be good for them because the Nats have not been too great. After that little stretch, they will have a lot more division games coming along. So it's going to be a bit of sink or swim, but I think it's good to not have those division games as much now where they can start to have some time over the next week and a half, two weeks to get healthy before they ramp up those division games where you have a good stretch there and all of a sudden you're right back in the thick of it. In the NL East. So I'm going to recap a little bit of that Marlins Brave series, then preview the series ahead with the Cardinals. Then also, I wanted to discuss some options for the Marlins in the infield. Jose Devers a bit banged up with that shoulder. Looks like Isan Diaz might be getting some more playing time at third, which is outrageous, but you can't beat a dead horse there. He has played some decent defense aside from the one bad throw at third. And while he does look like he's swinging underwater, the Marlins do have some other options. And I'm going to talk about why it may be a good choice to call up Bryson Brigman from AAA and where he has been impressing me in the offensive category, as well as just the well-roundedness in his game. Also, the Marlins traded for a catcher. They made a very low-key deal with the Astros to get Lorenzo Quintana. Maybe not the most exciting catcher or 
or prospect in the world, but he's experienced. He's put up pretty steady numbers through the minor leagues and could be a much better backup option than Sandy Leone. I will give a little bit of information on him. I do like the acquisition. Very low, essentially no risk, and there could be quite a bit of reward of bolstering that catching position and also giving yourself a better bat off the bench potentially. Sandy Leone is not an optimal bat off the bench, and you have to go to your backup catcher as a pinch hitter quite often, especially with the way the Marlins roster is structured right now. So this could be a nice little boost for the fish if Quintana is able to swing it in AAA and work his way into the backup role for the Marlins. So let's discuss that Brave series real quick, and then we'll get to some of those other topics in the back end of the podcast. So with that Brave series, Marlins take two out of three, as I mentioned earlier, and that was Definitely something that gets you feeling good again if you're a Marlins fan or if you're one of the Marlins players. It gives you a little bit of hope of we can bash it with the best of them. Yes, this is not the strongest Braves team right now, but the Marlins were struggling against the Pirates. So to be able to take two out of three from the Braves is really encouraging. And yes, they ended it on a bit of a downer with Pablo Lopez dropping that game in game three. To the Braves, but we know how hard it is to sweep a division rival. On top of that, it was not an optimal matchup for Pablo Lopez. We know he struggles against the Braves. They have his number, and it's not a Pablo Lopez issue as much as it is the Braves just mashing changeups. There's no team in baseball better at hitting the changeup than the Atlanta Braves, and Pablo Lopez, we know that's his bread and butter. So he struggles against a team that likes to hit the changeup. That's fine. It's just something that the Marlins have to be aware of. You're going to run into the Braves a lot. If you can avoid him pitching against the Braves, maybe you try to do it. Maybe you hope that he can figure it out and mix some things up better to be more effective against them. But the Braves no doubt have his number. He's 2-5 and five in 10 starts against Atlanta with a 5-6-6 ERA eight home runs in those 10 starts and just not the Pablo Lopez we're used to when he faces that ball club. You take the Braves away and his career ERA probably drops quite a bit. He has had a phenomenal season when it's not against the Braves. Overall, the numbers are still great, so I wouldn't really worry about it. It's just one of those teams that has his number. That happens to a lot of players and unfortunately, it's a division rival, but it is what it is. The Marlins have guys like Trevor Rogers, even Sandy Alcantara, despite the fact that he leans on his changeup as able to have a bit more effectiveness against the Braves. But overall, even the Braves are a tough matchup for the Marlins because most of the Marlins pitchers like to lean on their changeup and we know Atlanta likes to hit the changeup. Definitely a good challenge for some of these young pitchers like Sandy to try to lean on that slider a bit more, especially Sixto once he comes back up and gets a chance to see them again because he struggled against the Braves the second and third time he faced them as well. I was really impressed with what we saw from Alcantara and especially Zach Thompson. You know why Zach Thompson was good against him? Because Zach Thompson does not really throw a changeup. He throws a slider a lot and they were not able to hit his slider. It was amazing to see Thompson come out and get his first career win. I was at that ball game and I'm thinking, okay, I go to this game. The Marlins are going to get shelled. It's a bullpen game. Here we go again. Zach Thompson, it's not going to be great. And Thompson was special. 
good for him. I'm really happy for him. We'll see if he earns himself another start there. He hasn't been pitching great in AAA. I am really happy that he had that outing. I think if the Marlins roll him back out there again, it may be a struggle against the Cubs, but you never know. I think he probably earned himself another start, so we'll get to see him one more time. But a great job by Thompson to fill in there, give the bullpen a bit of a break by eating up some innings and give the Marlins a chance to take that game too which they do 4-2. to two. And I also really liked what we saw in Game 3. The Marlins dug themselves quite a hole right out of the gate with Pablo Lopez's struggles and could have folded. It was 5-0. They were largely seeming like they were out of the game. Drew Smiley, who hasn't been great this year, was pitching well. I'll attribute it to the fact that it was his birthday, maybe, where the Marlins just didn't seem like they were able to crack him too much early. But as the game went on, they continued to put together good at-bats. They were pesky, and they gave the Braves a little bit of a run for their money. They had to go to their A-team in the bullpen, though their bullpen has not been good this year. And the Fish were able to climb back within two runs and make it somewhat close. I mean, that's all you want to see because that's what the Marlins were really able to do last year was put up good fights, come back late in ball games. They had that never say die attitude that really made you feel like even though their offense wasn't elite by any means, it made you feel like they were never out of a ball game because they never felt like they were out of a ball game. And I would love to see that persona and that attitude come back to this team a little bit. They're going to need Miguel Rojas and Brian Anderson back to to have that attitude, Garrett Cooper even as well, but it was good to see them put up a little bit of a fight behind Starling Marte, playing one of the best series I've seen a Marlins player play in a long, long time. I mean, I can't think of a stretch of three games like that where I've seen somebody like Starling Marte impact the game in so many different ways. He's making big plays in center field, whether it's the throws at home, a pair of rocket throws, but also just tracking the ball on incredibly difficult plays that he made look really easy. I think a lot of guys would not be able to get to the balls that he was getting to deep in center, making those grabs. And then also, I mean, what he did with the bat. He was just a menace all series, just smashing the baseball, driving in runs, good situational hitting, stealing bags, doing everything. He was a one-man wrecking crew, and the Marlins really needed that from him. No way the Fish take two out of three without Marte in that series, and we'll see if he can stay hot. I mean, he has been as good as you could expect from a player. Over his last six games, he's hitting 458. You can open up the sample size larger and larger, and he's just been great overall, even for the entire duration of the season. He's looking like an all-star right now. I know everybody's talking about Pay Marte, and I know that is something that comes to mind every time he does something well, because we haven't really had a guy like that where he just takes over a game, which you don't see in baseball very much from a position player, but that is exactly what Marte's been doing. He takes over the game in center field. He's been taking over the game in the base paths. He's been coming up big with hits, and that's why fans are saying, okay, we got to bring this guy back. Marlins need to do whatever they need to do to get this guy back in the Marlins uniform. He forced the Marlins hand a little bit too by saying, I want to be back here because now if he doesn't come back, the Marlins can't really hide behind the, oh, he wanted to test the open market and he got some better offers out there. While they can hide behind the fact that they lost a bidding war, they have the exclusive rights right now to be able to negotiate something with him. And while Kim Ang said, we haven't discussed it yet, I think now they have to discuss it because Starling Marte said, I want to retire here. I would love for them to discuss it with me. And if he says 
three years isn't going to do it, then that can be something different. And we can have that discussion because I think four years for Marte is pushing it a little bit. I wasn't going to spend too much time talking on a contract here because I know that is something that's been discussed a lot at lengths around Marlins media. But my one thing on this and my thoughts on a Marte contract is one, it's really, really hard to be able to get a good gauge on what his value would be in terms of a contract because there's not that many examples of 33-year-old center fielders that are hitting the open market. It just doesn't happen very often. When I look at some comparisons deal-wise, you're still kind of comparing apples to oranges. But when you look at a guy like Michael Brantley, and I know Michael Brantley is not as athletic at this point in his career as a guy like Starling Marte is. He has been much more consistent when it comes to the offense and is just so incredibly productive at the plate. There was a bit of a bidding war for his services. Astros came back in last minute. They bring him back for two years, $32 million. Marte is going to get at least three years in my opinion, but the $16 million range is a pretty good annual value gauge to look at for him. I would give another deal that is somewhat of a comparison would be Lorenzo Cain's five-year $80 million deal. The difference being that Kane signed that contract as a 31-year-old going into his 32 season, whereas Marte will be a 33-year-old already when he hits free agency. So you expect four years maximum. I think three years is probably more like it because that Lorenzo Kane contract hasn't even really gone that well. It's been okay in the beginning, but now as he gets to 35, 36 as a center fielder, he's been injury prone. It just hasn't quite been that great. And that's because most people, most teams don't like to give center fielders that are already on the other side of 30 more than three or four years maximum but five years 80 million with the bonuses and everything roughly averaged out to 16 million per season same annual value as Michael Brantley I really think that that's a good gauge for Marte is about 16 million a year you go three years with that maybe you tick on a couple million since you don't give them the fourth year or you give them a fourth year option and you can go three years 50 to 55 million, that would actually give him more annual value than either Brantley or Lorenzo Kane. Not as long of a deal as Kane, but longer than what Michael Brantley got and also more annual value, not to mention Florida has no income tax, so a few extra million tacked on there for Marte who wants to be here anyways. That's what I think is an attainable deal for the Marlins and I think that they can get him to sign that and if it takes a few extra million, then maybe you tick that in. I know that it's easier said when it's not your money, but I think you can really incentivize it heavily too as well and put a lot of incentive bonuses in there if he continues to perform at the level that he is because the team around him should be pretty young and solid and if he's performing at an elite level then you should be happy to pay that because it probably means the rest of your team is doing pretty damn well if it's 2022 2023 you would hope that that would be the case for the Marlins if not you'd be able to trade that contract away because that would mean he's still playing at a high level so that's what I would like to see from the Marlins there but back to the rest of the series it seemed like Jazz Chisholm was really starting to get it going again. Didn't have the best final game, but overall has been really strong over his last six games. But the big story for me has been John Birdie. And I'd mentioned that maybe John Birdie was getting out of it. I'd been hard on the guy 
definitely been hard on Birdie because he's important to this team. And Birdie has really seemed to turn it around. He's eight for his last 21, which is a 381 batting average. But the crazy thing is, is he should be better than that. He has hit a ton of balls really, really hard right at people. But he's hitting the ball in the air more, not rolling over as much, and he is just seeing the baseball better. There's no way around it. It has been really good to see because the Marlins need that. Birdie really had a great series for this team, and they've got to be really happy about that. Same with Jorge Alfaro. He's been swinging a strong bat as well. So there are some good news or there is some good news, I should say, around this team right now. The better news is that Miguel Rojas is already on his rehab assignment, making his way back. Brian Anderson's definitely a little bit further away, but if Birdie's hitting, you can kind of deal with that loss a bit better in the meantime, though you would also much prefer Brian Anderson's defense at third and, of course, the power potential. But Birdie has been swinging it really well, and if he can continue that, that's a huge jolt for this team. It was also nice to see Lee when Diaz leave the yard for his first career home run in a pinch hit spot. That was awesome as well. Duvall doing what Duvall does, strike out or home run. He hit three home runs over his last handful of ball games. That is great to see as well. Corey Dickerson just struggling, really just not putting it together offensively at all. He hasn't been great defensively either. I know that the Marlins need to find a way to move that contract before or just move him off the team before they are going to call up Jesus Sanchez. That seems to be what the case is. But to me, it's just ridiculous at this point to not call up Sanchez and stash Dickerson. You platoon Dickerson and Duvall, which I've said so many times over the course of this season. At this point, you platoon Dickerson and Duvall, especially with Cooper out, and you have Sanchez out there. What else does Jesus Sanchez have to do? He just hit a ball over 500 feet, and he is just consistently hitting the ball to all fields, hitting the ball against lefties, righties, home, away, whatever he does, wherever he is, whoever he's facing, he's mashing. There's not a single thing else he could do. He's walking more than he normally does. He's not striking out. He's playing fine defense. Yes, he has been a bit inconsistent with his health as he's been banged up here and there, but overall has always returned pretty quickly and has been just fine. The Marlins need him badly and his offensive potential, and he would be a huge power boost over Corey Dickerson, who also is really, really struggling with runners in scoring position. He's really giving the Marlins little to no value, and he's struggling defensively out there as well. So let's talk a little bit more about the games ahead. I'm going to get to that the Marlins series against the Cardinals here, which game one is going to be tough later this evening. Braxton Garrett against Adam Wainwright. I'll tell you why it's going to be tough other than the fact that it's Braxton Garrett on the mound for the Marlins, as well as the next two games where the Marlins will have a good situation going for them with two of their best going. Trevor Rogers and Sandy Alcantara scheduled to start for them against KK Kim and Johan Oviedo. I'll discuss those matchups and then a little bit on the Marlins new catcher and why Bryson Briggs makes sense to be called up ASAP for this Marlins team. All of that coming up in just a moment. First, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Wealthfront. Day trading can be a lot of fun, but it can also be very challenging. And if you want to grow your long-term wealth, you should probably open up a Wealthfront investment account. And I'll tell you why. Decades of data show that investors who trade individual stock underperform the market every year. In fact, only 1% of day traders beat the market. So the odds are not in your favor if you're doing it alone. Team 
up with Wealthfront instead. Wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified, low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every day. They automatically handle all the investing based on preferences you control. Wealthfront can even help you lower your taxes you pay as you invest. For the average client, their tax loss harvesting can more than cover their low annual 0.25% advisory fee. And best of all, it's automatic. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets, and you can get your first 5000 managed for free. All you got to do is go to wealthfront.com backslash locked on MLB to get 5000 managed for free. Go to wealthfront.com backslash locked on MLB. That's wealthfront.com backslash locked on MLB to get started today. Also brought to you by Built Bar, nine delicious flavors with the occasional limited time flavor, including coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. You know I've said this a million times by now, but they are all high in protein, low in sugar, low in carbs, low in fat, and also low in calories. They're all covered in chocolate and easy to chew, great for a keto diet. What else would you want from a protein bar? They're all tasty and all healthy. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order at BuiltBar.com. Finally, brought to you by our friends at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. Before next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device to check out all the great news and sign up for bonuses. All you have to do is use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's one word locked on, and you will get a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. So you deposit $100, an extra $50 to wager on top of that, no strings attached. That's a 50% welcome bonus with the promo code locked on at betonline.ag and go see all that they have to offer today. So let's get back to this Marlins ball club as they get ready for a road trip against the Cardinals and then the Cubs. We'll talk about the Cardinals series first, where it's going to be a tough one. No doubt about it, will be tough against the ageless Adam Wainwright, who has been very, very good at home this year. He's had a couple blow-up starts. If you eliminate two of the blow-up starts overall, the ERA would be in the low to mid-threes. And while I'm not the biggest fan of the eliminate the blow up starts thing because it still is a part of your entire season, the more telling stat, in my opinion, is that he has been spectacular at home to a 2.62 ERA in eight starts on the road, an 8.20 ERA in four starts. That is pretty dramatic. Eight starts at home to have that 2.62 ERA is really strong, a sub one whip. He's been tough to beat by the arch. That's just the fact of the matter. I mean, he's obviously comfortable pitching there. He's done it for 16 years, but he's doing it as well as he ever has so far this season. Really good at home. The last two starts, he has been solid as well. Back-to-back starts of seven innings and has not walked a batter in either of his last two starts. So no walks in his last 14 innings and did not give up more than three runs in either of those two starts. No, he's not a Cy Young contender, and no, he is not a threat to rack up 20 strikeouts, but he is a very solid arm that is better at home, that is on a nice little run right now, so the Marlins will be meeting a guy that is not going to be the easiest to beat. On the flip side of things, Braxton Garrett on the mound for the Marlins, 
he could have been beat up even worse than he was last start. It was a very good outcome, I think, to get what you got out of Braxton Garrett if you're the Marlins in that last start. It could have been a lot, lot worse than it was based on his command, based on how the stuff just looked in that game and the situations. He got pretty lucky, but here he is again where he's going to have to face a Cardinals lineup that loves facing lefties. The Cardinals are fourth in baseball in OPS against Southpaws at 786, which is only worse than the White Sox, the Astros, who are both notoriously lefty killers, and then surprisingly, the Baltimore Orioles. But still, fourth in baseball in OPS against Southpaws, and they're seeing a pretty green Southpaw with not the best stuff in Braxton Garrett. So it's not one of those games where you roll in and you're thinking, this should go well. That being said, I rolled into that game two of the Marlins Braves series thinking, This is going to be a rough one, and the Marlins pulled that one out. So sometimes you never know. Baseball is weird, but the numbers don't paint a pretty picture for the Marlins in Game 1. The good news is they have Trevor Rogers and Sandy Alcantara going in Games 2 and 3, and you're probably thinking, well, you just told me how the Cardinals just demolish lefties. How is it a good thing that Trevor Rogers is going? Well, when a guy is as good as Trevor Rogers has been, that also doesn't matter. Splits don't matter when you're facing a guy that's been as good as Rogers. That's one thing. Two, the thing with Rogers is that he actually has reverse splits because of the way he utilizes his stuff, his fastball changeup combination, the way he pitches is actually harder on righties, especially with the way the changeup fades away and how hard the fastball is to pick up. So I don't really see the Cardinals having those same traditional splits against a guy like Trevor Rogers. But it still should be a good challenge for the rookie and then Sandy Alcantara in Game 3. As for the Marlins side of things, their offense is very inconsistent as we know. And it might be hard to score runs against an experienced Adam Wainwright, but the Marlins do have some potentially more easy matchups for them. Not that any matchup is easy in Major League Baseball, and I'm going to preface with I will never say a matchup is easy for the Marlins against a pitcher, especially this year with the way things have gone when you think it's going to go one way and it goes another. But the good news is for the Marlins after Wainwright, we are not totally sure who will go in Game 2. It might be KK Kim if he returns from the IL. Apparently, he doesn't really need a rehab start or anything like that, so they may just throw him in there. If not, the Marlins may see Johan Ovi Oviedo instead. I know they're going to see Oviedo in one of those three games. He has not been great this year. He's kind of an in-betweener, has been a reliever at times in his short stints in the big leagues before this, and then has been a bit inconsistent in the minors, has shown really good swing and miss stuff, but not great command, 18 walks in 28 innings. Jack Flaherty is on the IL for the foreseeable future, and it seems like the Marlins will be avoiding John Gant, who did pitch well against them last time around. So the fact that they're able to avoid Gant is also good news unless they want to put him on short rest and throw him in to this series. So we'll see how it goes for the Marlins, but it seems like they're going to avoid the guys that you want to avoid in this really shaky Cardinals rotation. And that's really been the story for the Cardinals. They have a great offense, but the rotation has been injured and shaky. The back end of the bullpen is solid, but it's been really hard to get there. Alex Reyes has been very good, 16 saves, a sub-1 ERA, but it's been hard to get to Reyes because the starters overall have not been going too deep, especially when you have guys like Oviedo, Carlos Martinez that have struggled. John Gant has shown some really good flashes so far over his last handful of starts, but overall, 
Seems like your classic candidate to regress. He has surrendered 42 walks or allowed 42 walks in 56 and thirds innings, which is absurd, and also allowed 51 hits. That gives him a 1.6 whip. I don't know how he's pitching to a 3.36 ERA, but if you look at his FIP, I know whip and FIP being rhyming and being right next to each other is not ideal, but when you look at the FIP, it's at five. So even if the Marlins did somehow get Gantz, you'd like to think that they'd be able to get to him and start that what is almost inevitable regression for him. But we'll see. It should be some interesting games for the Marlins. You'd hope that they can get to some of those guys that they'll be facing. And the good news is, after Braxton Garrett goes game one, which I'm assuming that'll be the case, hasn't officially been announced yet, then they'll have Trevor Rogers and Sandy Alcantara going in game two and three. We know this Cardinals team can swing it, so it'll be a good challenge for the pitching, and it'll be a good challenge for the offense to try to keep up if the Cardinals do put up some runs on the board. So talking about a couple of the ball players that I wanted to discuss before we wrap up, and I'll start with the new addition of Lorenzo Quintana, catcher from the Houston Astros. Marlins made a quick little low-key trade to get Quintana, who's 32 years old. So not your classic prospect. He's 32. He's never played in the major leagues yet, though he's due for a call-up. He just kind of needed the right situation for him because he was not really going to see playing time, I don't think, in Houston. But he has swung the bat well enough over the last few years, especially this year. He's been pretty consistent, not showing a lot of power, but he's sitting 311 in AAA right now, 372 on base, 340 slugging. That's where it's weird. Not really an ounce of power from him right now, but if you're getting contact from your catcher, I think you take that any day of the week because Jorge Alfaro does pack a punch, but he does lack that consistency with contact. But when you have somebody like Quintana that could potentially be a balancing act for your catching position when it comes to just being able to make some more consistent contact, being steady defensively behind the dish. And while the lack of power output in AAA so far this year for the 32-year-old Quintana is not ideal, you are definitely getting an upgrade if he can even hit somewhere near the batting average and contact rates he has put up throughout the minor leagues over the last few years. If you're wondering why he's 32 years old and still hasn't seen the big leagues, it's because he didn't really get a crack in the minors, at least stateside, until 2018 when he was 29 years old, and he was good right out of the gate. He slashed 254, 316, 484, a 116 WRC plus in double A. The Astros started him in double A right away when they signed him, and he spent most of his time since he was 19 years old playing in the Cuban League where he slashed 310, 377, and 438 in 1,600 plate appearances, which is against pretty solid competition. Of course, we want to see what he does in the minor leagues, which is the best thing to compare to and look at, and he has been pretty steady. Again, not the most exciting guy offensively, but I can guarantee he's probably more exciting than what the Marlins have gotten from Chad Wallach and Sandy Leone, and so far in his minor league career, a sub-20% strikeout rate. He has consistently hit for pretty high average, though the last two seasons, the WRC Plus just at 81 in 2019 in AAA and 86 in 2021 so far this year in AAA. I would still take the contact rate that you would be getting from this guy 
over what the Marlins are getting from Sandy Leone, especially if the defense is right there. He's thrown out 36% of runners in the minor leagues, so it seems like the defense is there. I don't know if it'll continue up to the major league level, but so far, I think he is pretty close to earning himself a shot if he is able to swing it well for Jacksonville, make a good impression, and Sandy Leone continues to be somewhat of a non-factor. I think that would be a very good outcome for the Marlins to go low cost there and test out Lorenzo Quintana give him a shot and have him make his big league debut with the Marlins. I think that is a very likely and a possibility. It may just be a depth move and the Marlins may prefer Sandy Leone. We'll have to see, but I really think that he can't be worse. I kind of stand by that. Unless Sandy Leone is that impactful on the pitching staff, I don't really see how he can be worse and I would love to see him get a chance in the next month or so. Speaking of people or players that I would like to see get a chance, this is the last guy I was going to talk about and somebody that absolutely should get an opportunity, and it's Bryson Brigman. You may have forgotten that name. The Marlins got Brigman in that Cameron Mabin trade, and he has been really steady and solid for them throughout the minor leagues. He has not entirely been the most exciting prospect. He's not a top 30 type guy, but he has never really been bad. While I acknowledge that that's a brutally low bar to set, not being bad, the Marlins really need somebody that's just not bad in their infield right now. And throughout Brigman's minor league career, he has only had one season outside of his first professional season, and I'm not really going to count the 2017 low A year where he just got drafted. When you look beyond that, since 2018, he has not had a year where he has had a WRC plus under 97. He's been above average every single year besides 2019 where he got the move up to double A and posted a 97 WRC plus there. He has always been in the 102, 119, 111 range each year in high A and even in the short sit in double A in 2018. So now in triple A, he's 26 years old. So he's kind of getting to the point now where you want to see what he can do because otherwise he's more of just that career minor leaguer. And I think he's better than a career minor leaguer. He's showing that so far in AAA this year. 123 WRC plus this season. He's playing shortstop mostly. He's gotten a couple starts at third and the Marlins could use him at third. He's played plenty at second in his minor league career. 304, 355, 480 slash line. Doesn't strike out. Only a 19% K rate. He's walking 7% of the time. And he is a decent athlete. He does everything pretty well. Doesn't really have a huge hole in his game other than the fact that he's not going to hit for a ton of power, but the Marlins don't really need that. They just need someone that can put the ball in play and that can drive the ball gap to gap and not just be somewhat of an automatic out that they've had. And he's a little bit more defensively versatile than Diaz is. Over his last handful of games, he's been even better. In the month of June, 347, 360, 633 slash line with nine extra base hits, which is good for a 160 WRC+. Why not give this guy a look? He's able to play all over the infield. He can play shortstop if you're in a pinch, which is not the same case with the other infielders the Marlins have outside of Birdie right now. And also, he has shown that he can swing it. I would love to see what he can do right now. I want to see a bat-to-ball guy there that is not going to be a risk to strike out. That might be decent in situational hitting and is obviously a better runner than Diaz is 
While Diaz has shown some good leather at third base outside of the one mistake, he did make some really good plays there and has been better at third than he is at second. I like the versatility of Brigman and I like the bat-to-ball skills of Brigman that he needs to get a shot. He's never struck out more than 20% of the time in his entire minor league career and he's walking as much as he ever has. I want to see him. I want to see what he can do. The Marlins might as well find out and I don't really see what they have to lose. Yes, you have to make a 40-man roster move and I'm going to have a whole episode that is dedicated towards the Marlins 40-man roster decisions over the last year or so, because I think that sometimes they're too reluctant to make any impactful 40-man roster decisions and clearly can be too afraid to cut ties with players. I don't think Isan Diaz is going to figure it out. I don't think that we're going to see something just magically click for a guy that looks like he's swinging underwater and does not really bring much value elsewhere other than the fact that he walks a lot because he fouls off a lot of pitches that he should be hitting and then eventually works the walk. That's really the reason why he walks a lot. He does have some patience at the plate, but that's always been something that he can do. For a while, it was like, okay, the Marlins don't have another option, so you got to stick with Isan Diaz on the 40-man roster, but I think it's about time you give Bryson Brigman a look on the 40-man roster, not to mention that he is Rule 5 draft eligible this year. So when the Rule 5 comes up, you're going to have to decide if you want to add him to the 40-man roster or not. You might as well do it now when you can actually use him instead of trying to force your hand and make a move to be able to keep him there when you may not have that same flexibility. Find out what he's got now. And if he's not great, then you know for the Rule 5 draft that you don't need to protect him because he's not going to be a big league option for you. Right now, you don't know that for sure. And if they don't move him to the 40-man roster, they're going to have to make that decision without knowing for sure. And that is going to be a more messy situation where you could end up losing out. As Craig Mish has said, this ownership, this front office likes to operate on deadlines and they often wait till the last minute. Hopefully, this won't be one of those cases and neither will the Starling Marte extension if that will hopefully happen. As always, thank you for listening. I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow. Enjoy this little road trip for the Marlins. Some fun games ahead with some Midwest matchups heading through this week.